0: Welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast, where I get to interview amazing people because my highest value is learning new things. And today, we have the privilege of having Connie Whitman with us today. She's got forty years of experience in sales, and some of them, I'm sure, were like spectacular. And some, there's lots of blood, sweat, and tears where we really learn our craft. Right? Welcome to the show, Connie.
1: thank you so much for having me. I really am honored to be here, and you and I have spoken before, so we've got a lot to talk about.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and I think uh, one of the things that's kind of uh i'm not sure if it's spelt the same way but uh whitman uh walt whitman is one of my go-to guys for quotes because he had such an amazing life and one of them is some people you can't tell them if they don't know and a lot of times salespeople uh people that are great salespeople are always learning even if it sounds like something they know they kind of pick up a nuance so uh being in sales requires ego and sometimes ego gets in the way so why don't you kind of, any insights on that? How do we stay humble and stay learning and always improving?
1: So that, that's such a good question. And, you know, my story when I began 40 years ago I always say sales found me. I, I didn't realize that I was good at it. I had these natural intuitions Mm. about how to communicate with people from this very caring, loving, honest place. And so in in a pre, in a job that I was at, I was selling, but I didn't know I was selling. I felt teaching and caring and loving to help others make more sales. So I just, I know this, let me educate you. You can make more money. Everybody wins. And Um, that's how I ended up getting into sales. Because it was funny, they said to me, you know, you're really good at sales. I'm like, sales, I am? I don't even know what that is. So I think to answer your question, I think I'm humble and I've always been, and it wasn't about the ego for me that I have to be in sales, make a lot of money and, you know, show people how great I am. I think I always come from this place of love, care and respect. So it keeps me grounded and it keeps me humble. And the other thing I say all the time when I train or I'm working with my clients, I learn from them every time I'm in their presence because somebody says something or phrases it. And I think, Oh, I'm going to steal that. I'll give you credit, but I'm stealing it. That was great. I love, I love how that landed for me, that energy behind it. So I feel like we approach things from curiosity. It keeps us humble because then I'm not the know-it-all. I'm curious to learn every interaction I have, even with my clients where I'm teaching.
0: I love that. And uh, certainly if you want to, learn something, teach, because that's where you really get the nuances when you're trying to explain to others. But one of the things you said was, you know, uh, uh, love, care, and respect is what I do. And uh, so here's a few things. Uh, when I approach anything from playing squash to doing a sales appointment to meeting a stranger, if I come at it from a place of love, it just changes the interaction, uh, makes me more patient, uh, I'm looking for the good. It just, in so many ways it, it, it works. Caring of course is critically important because people feel that when you really care about them, when you're trying to sell them something, I'm going to make sure you buy this Connie. And there's an intent, even though I use nice language, you can pick it up. Absolutely. And I think that last part oftentimes is just a, a throwaway line, but if you can go deeper into that, the respect part, because I think it's huge. uh, and, Why do you think it's huge? Why is respect such an important part of sales?
1: Because if, (laughs) first of all, we have to respect ourselves and the genius that we do bring to the table and honor it. And I find many times people go and try to sell, whether it's a business owner and they're trying to sell their product services, whatever it might be. And they feel, well, I shouldn't charge for that. Oh, they can't afford it. You know, you, you have to find the the ideal client who can afford you because you should get rewarded, paid, right? And money is nothing more than an en- energy exchange, so that I'm I'm really truly helping those that need my help, right? My ideal client. Mm-hmm. I think if we have self-respect, it, it really has to start there. And then the second piece of that is everybody you meet, you're not better than them. You're not worse than them. You're not higher than them. You're not lower than them. They are equals to you no matter what they do in their life or their world or their business or career. So I think if we approach it as we are all one, that level of mm. respect kind of always there. And I'll share, I know where I got that from. I, I this, this has been, and it's funny because people that meet me, if, if I say to them, because sometimes you ask, right? You're curious, pick one word to describe me and respect is often the word. Curious is the other mm-hmm. one. Curious and respect are the two words I think, and friendly, but those, those are the, the big words that are odd, right? Friendly, everybody's friendly or everybody's an introvert. But to hear that caring, respect, um, friendly, all of those, I think keep us, um, keep us humble as well. And then I learned respect from, and it's interesting, my dad came from Italy. And I remember right. as a little girl, he would say to us, you have to look in the mirror and love yourself. And I used to think, right. oh, he's so egotistical. He was a good looking man, right? But I thought, oh, he's so egotistical. Well, then you become a parent. And I learned that you have to have self-respect. Otherwise people will step on you. You'll allow people to step on you. So start with respect, but then honor those that are in front of you as well. And I think that's where the respect comes from. So it's deep rooted within me for sure.
0: Nice. Uh, uh, Three things there. Number one, uh, oftentimes I'll say in a workshop, my highest wish for you is that you fall in love with yourself. Uh, And uh, you'd mentioned respecting yourself first is the most important, and I think it is. The second thing that came up was uh, uh, oftentimes salespeople uh, equate, there's a a term from the, the Talmud, that basically says something like, we do not see the universe as it is. We see it as we are. And oftentimes as salespeople, we go, oh, they can't afford that. How do you know? What gives you the right to determine what they can buy and not buy? And oftentimes we do this because we just look at their appearance or it's our own self-worth dictates, well, I can't charge that much. When the reality is we're in the business of solving problems. And if you respect yourself and you respect the other person, Uh, that creates a bridge. And that lets the sales, the customer remove some of the filters that we normally have to protect ourselves. And then they tell you what's really going on. And from that, you can go, huh, let me show you a way to solve that. And does this make sense to you? And what you're giving them is, is something of, if it's a high enough value, they'll pay for it. And uh, you said it was an exchange of energy money. And that's, A good example of that is, oh, I helped you uh, uncover a really big problem. And sometimes somebody thinks that this is my problem. And when you actually ask them a few questions, they realize, oh, my God, is this big? And then you say, I can help you solve that. That'll make your life so much easier. And they're more than happy to pay you to make that problem go away because they could make it go away themselves probably in three years. But with you, we can let go of that next week and move on with our company and start making money and not. uh, So, yeah, absolutely respect yourself and then don't prejudge other people
1: the other thing too with sales I think we have to remember that if someone is struggling with and you fill in the blank right with whatever it is you're selling service pot product doesn't matter so if someone is struggling and you come in and can relieve that angst that stress that situation what is the cost and I think we forget to turn things into value for the for the for the client which is mm. what is the Costing you, it could be costing them their health if they're working extra, extra. Maybe you're a VA, right? You you bring VAs to the table. They think they have to do it alone and work 90 hours a week, so they're forfeiting mm-hmm. their health, right? Could it be that they're spending so much money on things that potentially they don't need, or machinery is breaking down, or right? Fill in the blank again. Whatever it oh, is yeah. that the issue is. Now, you come in and you solve that problem. There's always a return on the investment, whether it be time, money, again, energy, health. But what are you solving that creates that amp up of good, right, of good health, of, of financial um, stability, uh, you know, lower costs, more income, whatever it might be. And I think we forget that we are the solution provider. And we go in thinking, oh, like you said, they don't have the money. They're, they're not going to like me. They're not going to want me. We all have that negative record player. And I think if we come from love, care, and respect, you'll never do the wrong thing.
0: Absolutely. I think it's that intent is such like an important thing. And that's what you described. So one of the areas where people have a really tough time is asking for the sale. Like there's lots of data that shows that people will walk around the issue and hope that the customer will take a hint and go, Oh, maybe I should buy this. Uh, So why do you think that happens and what's a good strategy to overcome that so you feel really comfortable saying, hey, uh, let's sell this to you and end your pain and suffering?
1: So it's just interesting because I have my, you know, everybody's got a process, right? And and I, there's no judgment for me. Mm -hmm. Like if you're doing something and it's working, keep on rocking it. Like don't change it because somebody told you to, if you're getting the results. But my process happens to be seven steps. I've used it for 40 years and it works, right? Rinse and repeat. It's good. But here's the thing. Step six is the asking for the business. Mm -hmm. And in my process, it's the easiest piece. Because if you do step one through five, really, really, really well, when you ask for the business, the client is almost saying to you, well, how, can we do it today? What, what's the next step? Mm. Uh, we need another meeting. Do I need to bring my accountant in? Do I need to bring in my CFO? So they're leaning in, ready to go. The, the Asking for the business is, okay, let's schedule the training. I'm going to send you a contract later today. Um, the proposal has been sent. You've negotiated through all that. Now it's just Let's get this party started. So I think if we can get really good in those first five steps, that sixth step of asking for the business becomes a non-event. And here's the the last thing I want to say about that one. No more. For me, three things happen when we before we even ask for the business. You say to the client, "This is a perfect match. I'm really excited. You are my ideal client, and I'm excited at what we're going to do together." Man, this is a rock. This is going to be a rock star, right? Mm. And the client, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buying in hundred percent. We're together. Second one is I often say, or sometimes say to my client, you've got so many balls in the air and so much going on. You're not ready to bring me in and do the work that you need to do or bring your people Mm. into work. You're still hiring. Let's wait till you hire everybody because then you're piecemealing it. After that, you'll have somebody hired within the next month or two in the scheme of things. So you're not ready for me yet doesn't mean I'm walking away from the sale. They're still in my loop, my seven steps. It's just that I'm saying you are not ready to do this because I know it's going to fail. Then they they say the training wasn't good or it was a waste of money. So why go down that road and, and force the square peg in the round hole? You're not ready for me yet. Right. And then the third one is you know what Amara? I'm not the right person after getting to know you, understanding your situation. You need to meet my friend Joe. He's the one who can truly help you with that. I have a wonderful network. I vetted them out. They're good, they're fairly priced, and I know they can make a difference for you. And then I do an introduction. Notice mm. I didn't use the word objection. Because I've done such a good job through my steps one through five that I never get objections because I either ask, don't ask for the business, you're not ready for me, or we prolong it or whatever it is, but it's a fluid conversation. It's not, sorry, can't help you. Usually I have someone in my network who can.
0: Right. So let's start at what's step one of your process.
1: Step one is preparation. And I think we do not spend enough time in preparation because everybody goes, Oh, that's a waste of time. I'm just, I need to make calls. I need, Okay. Make calls. I'm not saying don't. Are they good calls? Are you prepared for your calls? Are they quality calls? What's your return? If you're making a hundred phone calls, how many appointments are you getting? So making more calls, if you're going in unprepared, your calls are crap. So preparation, preparation, <laughs> preparation. I can't emphasize that one enough. And by the way, Omar, preparation goes through all of them. Um, I know you're surprised by that, right? Right. Step number- Shot. Shots. Shot. Right?
0: So step- hold on before we go to step two. So yep. step one, preparation. So uh, salespeople have, uh, typically what I look for is, you know, if I can get three point, three interesting things to talk about in terms of something about the company themselves and -hmm. something that's legitimate and not like, uh, oh, we went to the same school together, which sometimes, you know, it seems a little cheesy. So what uh, trigger events are you looking for in that preparation?
1: So preparation for me is your time management, your organizational skills. So not and I'm not even just talking your desk when you show up in your briefcase and especially if we're doing outbound calling and we're going to a client's location, you know, when you pull your stuff out, is everything falling out of your your for women purse or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our briefcases? You have to go in appearing organized. You should have your questions organized. There should be an agenda. There should be something that you can hand out so the client can, f- especially if it's a live, not a Zoom. So they have the agenda with you. All of that is part of preparation as well as knowing your products and services and mm. how to articulate and have good presentation skills and know if if you get an objection, what are you going to say? All of that is preparation. There's a lot going nice. on. Yeah, there's a lot going on.
0: So what's step two?
1: Step two is building rapport. So this is where value statements, your 30 second commercial elevator speech, the idea, though, and I find this so frequently more, it kind of shocks me when I say to people, write your value statement, tell me what differentiates you from because we're all doing the same stuff, right? Sales, we're all teaching some Mm -hmm. form of sales training, right? Or sales culture building, whatever it is. So what differentiates me from the other vendors or partners that that are out there? So what value, and people sometimes they'll sit there blankly and I go, what's going on? And they go, there's nothing special about me. What differentiates Mm -hmm. me? I don't know. And that's not a put down or a judgment, We don't think about it. And it goes back to your, our first question, the ego. If I say that I'm great at, or I've been doing this for so long, people are going to think I'm an egomaniac. We're taught to be non-braggadocious.
0: Yeah, be humble.
1: Yeah, be humble, which yes, we could still be humble in our value statement, but people need to know who they're doing business with. So what is your value statement? That will build rapport really, really quickly.
0: The other thing it does is it brings consistency, and your value statement might be crap. And in which case, if you're not getting good results, you talk to Connie and says, Oh, we need to tweak that. But if you don't have one and you're saying something different each time, it's hard to figure out what's broken. It's just like a whole mess. So what's number three?
1: Number three is asking questions that you need what was to that? have.
0: That was my but, question. Just kidding.
1: I know. What's that mean? What question <laughs> Connie, do you ask? You should have a set of open-ended questions that bring the client through everything you need to know about whatever your services. right? So I don't go in and talk about health and fitness. I go in and talk about the ROI. What are their close ratios, right? Who's, who are the employees? What are the skill levels? You know, how many are seasons? What do the numbers look like? So, but I go in and I have, and more, I've been using these same questions for 22 years that I've been in business. It's in an agenda. There's eight key questions. Now here's the trick. I'm going to to give you the next one Mm. and then we can break it down if you'd like. So step three is asking questions. Step four, I used to have joined with step three, but about five years ago, I realized how important it needed to be standing on its own own, and that Mm. would be listening skills. So when you ask those rich prepared, notice prepared again, questions that you know work and get the client talking about what you need to know to help them, you have to go into active listening. And this is where we ask follow-up questions through active listening, we come up with more questions because Mm. we're present, we're engaged, we're curious. And now I'm going to ask those follow-up questions that I couldn't have prepared in advance because I need to be in the moment to really hear what's going on with that client. But that active listening allows me to really dig in, fully understand who the client is. And this is the, this is the miracle of listening it allows us to not only we go in with a specific thing that we think the client might need, which isn't a bad thing. Do not, do not pigeonhole yourself. This is my advice here. So with the listening, you're going to uncover so much more than you even thought possible. So when you do get to making your recommendation or your proposal, it's going to be bigger. So we stop leaving money on the table because we're, we're giving them a more robust solution that, oh, by the way, is so much better for them and we win as well. So it's that whole law of reciprocity as well. When we show up and do the right thing, oh my goodness, it comes back to us tenfold. So questioning three, four, listening, they go together and they're really important.
0: Absolutely, and when you're listening, if you're doing it well, you can also see their body language and sometimes they'll answer the question and you'll see a quizzical look. And you can tell, oh, I, you had a quiz, go look, go, uh, what's going on? Then they'll go, oh, really, this is one of the major issues. So being fully present and watching them as they speak is critical. And what's the next one?
1: And then step number five is presenting your solution. So if you've done a really good job, again, your solution should be quite robust, um, but it should be spot on. There shouldn't be any extra crap in there because you get commissions on if it's really not going to serve the client. So I, when I approach my clients, I call it the pantry. I know what I have available. I know all my assets, my programs, I, how I can pull and combine and, and customize. So when I present, my solutions are usually very customized for my client. Doesn't mean it has to cost that because people, oh, customize, it costs more money. No, I have so much stuff created over 40 years. I can pick and choose. The right combination for that client, their team, whatever it might be.
0: Oh, brilliant! And what's the next step? Number Asking for the
1: business, so it's like, oh, hey, Omar, absolutely. let's get started. Want to want to start next week? How many people? Let me let me send an email with a Zoom link. So we, whatever, whatever that next step is for you, but it's we're moving forward. There's a commitment from the client. There's a commitment from you, um, and then what is that next step to get it get it started?
0: And what is the last step?
1: Another very important one, follow up. <laughs> Nobody follows up the way they should. So you should be following up and I, and depending on your sales cycle, don't badger a client if it's a longer sales cycle, be respectful in how mm-hmm. you show up for them. But we need to follow up. And if a client says no today for numerous reasons, doesn't mean they don't like you, they don't like your solution, timing might be off. So if we don't follow up, we lost that opportunity down the road. and we've all already done the first six steps. So why are we walking away from potentially good business? And I, I, if I can share one quick story. Sure. I had one client and I, I they kept saying to me it was a very big uh, bank, happened to be a bank, very big bank in Jersey. You're too small. You're too small. So, five years I followed up with them again, maybe every, every, maybe three times a year. Their birthday, Mm -hmm. you know, the holidays. If I knew something was going on in their bank, I would send an article or comment, but I got to know them personally. So, most times we got on, they, you know, it would be in the summer. They're not looking to hire anybody, right? It's not budget season, Mm -hmm. but I would say, How's the family? I knew the kids. I knew who was in college, whatever was going on. The fifth year, They had hired three other vendors during that period of time and they were epic fails and they spent millions of dollars and got nowhere. Reconnect with them and they were like, could you come in? We just want to talk to you. I'm like, sure, of course, I'll help you any way I can. I go in within 10 minutes. They realize, why didn't we hire you five years ago? And I giggled and I said, listen, I knew I was the right vendor for you. I was the right partner. You had to go through this and now you understand the value I bring to the table. Never too late. It's all good. It's all good. And here's the punchline. So people are, five years, like, are you crazy? I worked with them for 15 years. In 2018, they became the number one bank in New Jersey. That was not solely because of me, but I did contribute, yes, 15 years. How many millions of dollars did I make over that period of time? Because I ended up training every division within the bank over time. So was it worth that five years of follow-up? Oh, I say yes.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I think a lot of people respect that degree of follow-up if it's done in the right way. Yes, respectfully. And also uh, in the rapport stage, uh, when you really kind of build that trust, asking people, this is gonna be a longer sales cycle. Uh, So I wanna make sure I serve you well. This is how I follow up. How do you need me to follow up? And so sometimes they'll kind of go, oh yeah, that'll be good. You know, Keep in touch on this level. And uh, setting expectations is really, really important. When you set expectations and live up to them, it strengthens the relationship and it leads to more sales.
1: Absolutely. You have to build trust them more, for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's solve like the biggest problem salespeople have is landing appointments. Connie, if I can just get in front of a customer that, you know, uh, I'm phenomenal, but it's not getting enough of those. So why don't we troubleshoot that in the last few minutes of the podcast? What's some advice you would give of people Uh, talking to strangers and getting appointments?
1: So here's the thing, I believe, again, preparation. So you have to be strategic in whatever that business development looks like for you. So for instance, my people are on LinkedIn, they're corporate clients, Mm. Um, they're on LinkedIn, that's where they play. So my profile is good. I put post articles. I respond to articles. I've joined groups that I know are relevant to my industry that I want to be working with and people I want to be working in. I ask actively ask for referrals. So if people like me, I ask for recommendations on LinkedIn. So again, I have built up a fairly robust LinkedIn profile. Does it need work? Sure it does. We all drop the ball. But if if so strategically I spend about 10 to 15 minutes every day, no more than that, on LinkedIn. So that is a strategic for me, but I'm very strategic in how I approach it. The other thing is when I have clients, I always ask them after I have served them and delivered and they are madly in love with with what I do and how I do it and my team that I bring to the table, I will ask them, do you know anybody that's another CEO at another bank or credit union or whatever it is that you can introduce me to that perhaps I can help them do what, what we did here? Love it. I will get referrals. So, and and you go in and I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, um, when I get those referrals, the close ratio is probably close to 80, 90%. Again, unless I'm not a good fit, then but I'm referring them to someone else as well. So I think we have to be strategic when you do networking. Are you going to the right networking event? Or you say, well, I'm busy. I'm going to all these networking events. But if they're not your people, why are you wasting time? So again, that preparation, vetting Organizations out, but you have to build your uh, centers of influence, COIs. We have to build our influencers who are going to refer to us on a regular basis. We have to build that while we're building our business careers and all those things. You've got to be strategic. I now here's the other thing, Omar. I don't believe in cold calling. I did that forty years ago. I haven't cold called in thirty-five years, and knock on wood business is always coming in. So here's the thing. There are some industries that you still need to cold call. So my recommendation, you better get really, really good at those efforts on calling, make sure you're prepared going in and you know what you're saying. So again, you're very strategic in how you're
0: approaching that client. Love that. Connie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. It was always insightful. And how can people find you?
1: Uh, if go to changing the sales game, my website, I have a free communication style assessment there. If they'd like to take that, get two reports, one spot slate, their natural superpowers, how people are receiving your message kind of important to know. And then your lowest scores, your blind spot people who communicate opposite of you. There's a report on that as well of, of how to manage that. Um, additionally, there's some other resources there. And you have an, you have a question for me, email me at Connie at changing the Love
0: it. Connie, stay tuned. I'm going to end this show and we'll chat for a few minutes.
1: You got it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope, I hope people found value in it.